You may be seated this morning. Middle schoolers are dismissed at this time as they're going to go up to the youth room and as they're going to have their lesson. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Romans. So if you'll turn to chapter 2, we finished chapter 1 last week. So chapter 2 will begin at verse 1. Jerry has some Bibles in the back in his hand. So if you're towards the back, just raise your hand. If you're towards the front, we do have some on the front platform. We want you to study God's word with us. You have the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts and then Romans. Turn to the second chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 1 this morning. The Apostle Paul, as we have discussed, at the conclusion of his third missionary journey, He's in the city of Corinth, and he's desiring to go to Rome. He expresses that it's my desire to come to you, but I'm not able to at this time. Paul was going to take a collection that he had gathered from those churches in Greece. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to give that collection, that gift to the saints in Rome who are going through a very difficult time. But what Paul does do at this time, that he sits down and he writes this letter to the Christians in Rome, which we now have before us that we're studying, called the Book of Romans. And after Paul gives his greetings to them, his salutation, and expresses his thanks for them, he says, your faith is known throughout the world, you Christians there in Rome. That he writes the great theme of this book in chapter 1. You know it, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so Paul is writing to us that through the Spirit of God, as he is inspired to write these words down, that man has need to be saved. That salvation comes by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once a person makes that decision, that is open up their hearts to the Lord, the Lord has the power to save them, to forgive them, and to change them. There is power. This is the power of God for salvation. Saving power and changing power that is found in faith in Jesus Christ. And then God's righteousness is revealed. It's that Greek word apocalypse. That is, we are righteous in God's eyes because of our faith in Jesus. It is not because of us. It is not because of our goodness. And as we say, Lord, you did it all on Calvary. I believe in you. I come to you for forgiveness. I put my faith in you. Then the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You see, faith is the starting point of our salvation. And even as Paul would write to the church of Colossae, just as you've received the Lord Jesus, you also continue in him. That is, you continue walking in faith. You continue to grow in faith. You continue to live for him. So here Paul establishing to us that the gospel is available for anyone who believes and that he is establishing also as he begins to give the gospel that all of us have a need to be saved. He, as you saw last week, if you're with us or if you've read chapter 1 beginning at verse 18 of the chapter, begins to indict mankind and why we need salvation. 
Paul is presenting his case, if you would, that as he shows us very logically, he shows us systematically, very plainly, that all of mankind stands before God guilty. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who is living presently, anyone who lives in the future, that we all are guilty before God. That God being a righteous God and a holy God and a just and pure God will judge all unrighteousness and all ungodliness as we read in verse 18 of chapter 1. And Paul is telling us the truth of our state so that we might turn to the gospel. We need to know the bad news so we can turn to the good news. That's what the word gospel means is good news. And Paul here as we enter into chapter 2 continues this indictment against mankind that as the one who perhaps is reading what we went over in chapter 1 last week. That God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in creation. But God's truth can be suppressed. And instead of giving glory to the incorruptible God, that man ends up having a darkened heart, a hard heart. Begins to give glory to that which is false. And worship the creature rather than the creator. And then that leads to moral depravity and, and to perversity. And then to all kinds of unrighteousness of sin, which is listed there at the end of chapter 1. And now as we move into chapter 2. Paul continues to show that all of us are guilty. To the person who might say amen to what we read in chapter 1, what we studied last week, the pagan who worships idol or the one who's involved in all kinds of, of wickedness or immorality, they are guilty. They deserve the wrath of God. Paul now is going to address the self-righteous moralist, uh, the one who, who thinks that they're righteous before God in their own goodness, and he's going to show us very clearly and very plainly that they too need to be saved as well. You see, there are those today that perhaps you might know them, perhaps you talk with them, that you can read chapter 1, and what they will say is, amen, that those people need to be judged. The wrath of God needs to come down on them. But me, I'm moral, and I'm a good person, and I know that when I stand before God, I'm going to be okay. So what does Paul have to say about that self-righteous person? Let's begin to look at it, verse 1 of, of Romans chapter 2. That therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So Paul comes out. He, he is very direct. He's not holding back to the one that judges others would be the one that judges that person of chapter one. You who judge for whenever you judge another, you are condemning yourself. And, and you who judge practice the same thing. Now, that's pretty heavy. That, that would hit the, the one who is reading this, who thinks that they're righteous before God pretty, pretty hard and, and begin to think what is being said here. You, whoever you are, that see yourself as being moral, living so rightly and righteously, you who judge the pagan nature, the immoral life described in the previous chapter, you condemn yourself. You say, I'm not like them. And perhaps there are those that, that you know, I pray there isn't any here today, that you just look at others with just anger, and I'm not like that person. I'm not like them. I'm not like those sinners, and they deserve hell, and I don't. 
And Paul here says they condemn themselves and they practice the same thing. Now that'll get some people upset and angry reading that. But we need to understand what is being said. That you who continually, vehemently condemn, you who are bitter and angry about somebody else's sin, you who judge another, and the key here is the word for judge means to judge for condemnation, for eternal condemnation. Hey, they're guilty. Look at the way that they live. They are immoral. They're idolaters. But I'm moral. And you are now saying that you know the standard which will get a person into heaven. You are saying you yourself are declaring what is right and wrong. You know the standard that makes a person righteous. But what you are doing, Paul is saying, is you are actually condemning yourself. Because if you're going to say that that person is going to go to hell, be eternally lost and condemned, you're saying that you know God's standard. And Paul's going to go on to say, as we continue reading, that God's standard is this. Perfection. And as moral as you think that you are, no one has achieved that. No one is perfect. The only one that has ever lived that is perfect is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's why he went to the cross. And you judge others and you condemn yourselves because you practice the same things for you who judge. Now, Paul's not saying that if you judge, because we can see a person's sin, we can see their works, we can judge their words, and, and so if somebody murders, that you're going to go out and actually murder somebody, or if somebody commits adultery, that you're actually going to go out and do it. But Jesus did set the standard, didn't he? He said on that hillside in Galilee that if you're angry with your brother in your heart towards them, that you've committed murder. He says that if you lust after another, you committed adultery. But what he is saying, that, that you, as you see yourself as not being a sinner before God, and you're condemning others, and you think you're going to stand before the Lord in your own righteousness, then you are fooling yourself. And you are one that you condemn yourself. So Paul talking about the moral person who judges the condemnation. Now, sometimes people will read, you know, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Romans, or they'll go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Perhaps you've had this conversation that people will say that judge not lest you be judged. That's what Jesus said. And they'll say that if you point out a sin, if you tell them that they're living immorally, what you have done is wrong. It's against God's commandments or whatever that we do and looking at people again as we see we can judge their works we can judge the words that they say and then we know that Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart you know the mouth speaks but what happens is people say don't judge me and even leaders in the church are saying we don't want to judge anybody we don't want to you know, call out sin. We don't want to address sin. We just want to all, you know, be together and hang out together and whatever the case may be. Don't, don't want to tell people they're living in sin or doing sinfully, that what they're doing is wrong. You're not supposed to judge, but we have to judge, don't we? You see, we don't judge from condemnation, but Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 7, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. That takes judgment for identification, wisdom, discernment. You know, you will know them by their fruits. So we do judge what is being said. We do judge works. We judge for discernment, for, for identification, for wisdom. Parents, you do that, don't you, with your kids? Are you going to allow your, your, your kids to be a part of something that's dangerous for them? 
or it's not good for them, or to go somewhere that you know that they're not going to be safe? Of course not. You're going to keep them in that place where they're going to be safe. You need to have wisdom and discernment. All of us as parents are that way, even the church, that we need to judge and test the spirits to see if they are of God as 1 John chapter 3 tells us. We're to judge what is being said and prophecy, and we need to do that, or the church is going to be jeopardized. So we do make judgment calls. That is, we can judge a person's work, their actions, their words, but we don't judge for condemnation. We can judge for identification. And you see, as Paul continues, he says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So sometimes people come to the faulty conclusion that God isn't judging me or anything and thinking that the you know, judgment of God is, that is delayed because God is approving of my sin or he doesn't care or he doesn't see or he can't do anything about it. Here's something to keep in mind. Paul here is telling us what is told throughout scripture that God will judge. That he will judge according to truth. And keep in mind that God defines truth, not you, not me, not our culture. He is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He didn't say he was a truth. He is the truth. And the Lord sees all, and all things are open and naked before the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 tells us that. So I don't have to condemn someone. I can leave that kind of judgment to God because he will do it in truth. You see, I don't know what's in a person's heart totally. Only God knows truly what's in the heart of a person. Even Solomon would declare that when he was dedicating the first temple. He said, only God sees what's in the heart of man. And in that day that God judges, we will respond by saying, as Revelation chapter 19 tells us, that righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. No one is going to say, that was too harsh, that was too lenient, but everyone will marvel as we are with the Lord at that time. We're going to marvel and, and worship and say, you judge perfectly, Father, righteously. But none of us has the capability to do that, to judge for eternal condemnation. He will judge, Roman declares, according to truth. So there are those who, you know, are around that think that they have the ministry of judging for God. And one of the things that I've realized over the years of ministry, that God really doesn't need my help in that. He's perfectly capable of doing it himself. And it reminds me that, Jeff, you don't know as much as you think you know and you're not as smart as you think that you are, so here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You love others. You love others, and loving others does mean that we give the gospel. Loving means rebuking and correcting and protecting at times. Loving means that I'm going to love you enough to tell you that it's the gospel that saves and nothing else. That there is a hell, that there is eternal damnation for those who reject the gospel, that's part of loving, but I do it in love. And I speak the truth in love. And I'll let God do the judging for condemnation because it's his business, because he sees all things and he does it in truth. And as we read verse 3, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You moralists that place yourself as the righteous judge, don't you know that you're guilty and you will not escape the judgment of God? 
And of course, as Paul continues in this letter, he's going to tell us that the only way to escape is faith in Jesus Christ, to repent and turn to him. And you who judge others and do the same, you think that you're going to get away with it? There are those, again, that will say, I'm not whatever you guys say, born again. I'm not one of those Jesus freaks or fanatic like you are, but I am a good person. And I'm a moral person. And I see the faults of others, and I make no bones about it. I know that I'm not perfect, but I haven't hurt anyone. I've done a lot of good. To the one who says that, let's read on verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God has shown his forbearance, that is patience towards you. He's been patient with you. His grace is shown to you. Don't despise that. Don't think that he's not going to deal with your sin as well. Instead, you should realize and know the goodness of God and acknowledge that. And as you do that, it will cause you to turn to God, to repent, to change direction. That's what that word repent means. Sometimes people hear that word repent and they cringe at that. It's a wonderful word. It means that we can turn to the Lord. We can come and get saved. We can come to him for life and also for abundant life. We change direction in the way that we are going, thinking and living as we desire to live for him, to live in his ways. And Lord, you're so good. We do it because he is gracious and loving, don't we? I just want to walk with you. I want to know you, Lord. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And unfortunately, there are those who despise the goodness of God, who continue to rebel against him. And in verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. If you do not respond to the goodness of God, to the patience, the grace of God, if you are unrepentant, that you don't give yourselves to the gospel of Christ and believe, then you're heaping up for yourselves some trouble. You're storing up wrath for yourself. And people do that. They reject the goodness of God because of the hardness of their hearts. There are those who continue to, to harden their hearts of God. And those who do, there will be a day of reckoning that will come. Again, there are those who will say to us that love the Lord and, and study his word and proclaim the gospel. I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your Bible. And they'll even bring up church. Now, I'm a good person because, you know, when I was a kid, I was baptized in the church or I was confirmed in the church. Or I belong to that church, not knowing that a church will not save you. And reckoning's going to come. So Paul here is really pleading with the one where that is, you know, has the self-righteous, moralist attitude. Don't harden your heart to the goodness of God, to the gospel of Christ. Don't think that you're okay, but unless you repent and recognize that you cannot measure up to the perfection of God's standard, if you harden your heart to God's goodness, and that is he sent his son to die for your sin. And that salvation is for everyone, verse 16 of chapter 1, who believes. And the just shall live by faith, verse 17 of chapter 1. 
If you continue in your stubbornness and rebellion against the gospel of Christ, the day of reckoning is coming and God's wrath will come. Verse 6, this is the key, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient, continuous in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation, verse 9, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. Now, understand that Paul's not arguing that salvation comes by works. One of the truths that I pray that we're always established in here at Calvary Chapel, what the truth of God's word says, you cannot be saved by your works. Jesus did it all on the cross. His death on the cross is sufficient for forgiveness of sin. For you to receive eternal life and come to the Father. There's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to earn salvation. It doesn't come by works. So he's not arguing that salvation comes by work, but he is saying, if you want to be judged by your works, you'll be judged by your works. And he's going to go on and say in chapter 3 that there's none that does good. So you want to try to line up to God's standard? Your works will be judged. And the unbeliever who rejects the gospel of Christ will be judged at the great white throne judgment. The good news for you and for me who are believers, we're not going to stand at the great white throne judgment. But those who do are going to be judged according to their works. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 declares to you and to me. And anyone who says, I will take my chances, I won't turn to Jesus Christ and embrace the gospel message, then you will be judged by your works. And if you have done total good, is what Paul is saying, in giving God all the glory and honor every day of your life, every hour of your life, every minute of your life, if you sought after immortality, if that has been your life, doing good and pleasing God and living rightly, then you will make it to heaven. You will be declared righteous. But there's a problem. Nobody does. The person who's a self-righteous moralist that says, I am good. Paul says, okay, if you're good, then you'll make it into heaven. If all of your days you have been in complete harmony and submission to God, doing the will of God, if everything that you ever did, everything that you ever thought and said, please God, and you love God with all of your heart, then you will inherit eternal life. The problem is nobody does. Perhaps you've heard people say, I hope God judges justly. He will judge according to one's deeds, their work. I don't want to be judged justly. I want God's mercy and grace. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. What is it that we don't deserve? Heaven. We don't deserve heaven. It is grace through faith that we have been saved, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, mercy is not getting what you deserve. What is it that I deserve? I deserve hell. I've done a good job in deserving hell. But by God's grace through faith, I will inherit eternal life. And as I experience God's mercy and grace, 
then I'm not going to go to hell. Then I'm going to have eternal life. I'm going to be in heaven with him forever. God shows no partiality. Nobody gets special favors. And anyone and everyone that stands before the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20 and are judged according to their works, they will find that they come up short. And it's a foolish thing to say, I'll let God judge me according to my deeds and piety and righteousness. Because we're going to see in Isaiah here in just a couple Wednesdays that Isaiah declares the word of the Lord that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God is what Paul's leading up to in the next chapter. All of our thoughts, all of our deeds, all of our attitudes are open and naked before God and will be exposed on that day. And a self-righteous moralist who says, I am a good person, what a shock it's going to be when the books are opened up and the depth of their sin is brought to light, the person who says, I will stand alone before God, I'll argue my case that I am righteous, the books are going to be opened up and what a stench it's going to be when all of the sin comes forth condemning you, condemning that person. For as many as have sinned, verse 12, without law, will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For do not uh, the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves. And verse 15 tells us, who shows the work of the written law in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So what's being said here? The Jewish man would say, well, we have the law. The Gentiles don't. The Gentile who doesn't have the law, he will be judged by his conscience within him. And Paul goes on to say that the Gentile doesn't live up to the conscience within him. Everybody has a conscience. Sometimes we see things happen that are horrendous and, and, and hideous, and we think, does that person even have a conscience? But a conscience is that intuitive knowledge of right and wrong. There is a conscience in us that says murder is wrong. Stealing from somebody is wrong. And what Paul is saying is he's making his case in this indictment against all of mankind that the Jewish person who has the law falls short because it is not just hearing the law that justifies you. It is being a doer of the law. And a Gentile falls short because he doesn't live up to the conscience that is in him. So we're all guilty. The self-righteous, the, the unrighteous, uh, the, the heathen, the, uh, the Hebrew, with no exception. So those who don't have the law will be judged not by the law, but by creation, chapter 1, testifying that there is a God, and conscience, chapter 2. And those who have the law will be judged by the law. And those who are not just hearers of the law, but doers of the law, will be justified. And now Paul will say, you don't keep the law. You don't keep the law. Matter of fact, the, the whole major point of Galatians is the law had a purpose in this, not declaring you righteous, but it shows that you're guilty. The law shows that we're all guilty, and that's why it's a schoolmaster, a tutor to drive us to Jesus Christ. But 
But I do want to bring it home a little bit closer to us this morning because I know that a vast majority of us that are here and have passed through the services this morning, that you are a Christian. But I want to say this. As we talk about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it, there can be those who, who you know, learn the Bible, they know the scriptures, they've been through Bible study, they grew up in a Christian home, you know, they've gone to church, all these things, and suddenly they begin to think that hearing the word implies that I'm doing the word. And I want to remind us again what James says in his epistle, that I'm not only to be a hearer of the word, I'm to be a doer of the word. Don't just look in the mirror, see what you look like, and then walk away and forget. So he's talking about all that and being a doer of the word. And it's kind of like this. Parents, we, we send perhaps one of their kids up to their rooms to clean their room, right? You need to clean your room. And they go up there and they start playing video games or messing around. So you go up and you say, clean your room. I am cleaning my room. You go up half hour, hour later. I told you to be cleaning your room. I am cleaning my room. They're playing games, you know. So we know how that is. And sometimes Christians will say, oh, I am a Christian. I, I am living for Jesus. Really? As we go through the scriptures and how we're to live in every area of our lives, how we're to speak, our behavior, our conduct, our faith, our purity, to be the servant of all, to love, to forgive, to, to be humble before the Lord, to pick up our cross and follow after him, to walk in the fear of the Lord, all these things that we're being told to live for Jesus Christ. And then right before he went to the cross, he would say in John chapter 13, that if you know these things, blessed are you if you know them, but blessed are you if you do them. You see, the word blessed, as a lot of you know, means, oh, how happy. That's literally what it means. So I want to ask us all a question this morning, including myself, in the honesty of your heart. Are you a happy Christian? And I'm not talking about where you walk around all day, you know, snapping your fingers and tapping your toe and humming. Are you a joyous Christian? Are you elated that you're a child of God? And blessed or oh, how happy you'll be if you know these things about living for him in your behavior and in your speech and in your purity and your conduct, about being a servant, living for the Lord, living rightly. His ways are good. And blessed are you when you do them not just know about them. But when we say, Lord, I hear what your word declares and how I am to live in every area of my life, and so I choose to do it, Lord. I hear your commandment, and Lord, help me, because I can't do it in my own strength or my own efforts. I need you to help me to live a life for you, and God's commandments are his enablements, and blessed are you if you do them. You're not just hearing about it. You're not being critical and thinking, well, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to do something else. Or ignoring it. If you're not doing what God's word declares to you, you will not be happy. You just won't be happy. And as Christians, 
As we have passed through the services, I know that there are some that have passed through this morning that may be here even this morning, that there's a sadness that is in your life. Maybe it's because there's been a loss in your life. And as we enter into the holidays, it can be very, very difficult because you're grieving, you're hurting, there's a hole in your heart. I want you to know that the Lord loves you. And he is the God of all comfort that comforts us in all our tribulations. And keep going to him. And let him be your comforter, your provider, to give you that peace that passes understanding. But you sense his presence. Some of you have a sadness because of circumstances in your life. You're concerned for your children. You're concerned for your teenager. It's rough at the workplace. Maybe it's health that you're battling. Maybe the business isn't doing well. And I want you to know that the Lord is with you and his promises are true for you and you can rest in his love. But I also know this, that there may be some here even this morning that there is a sadness because you've heard the instructions of the Lord and you know what the Word of God has to say to you in your circumstance or situation, but you are not doing it. And there's a sadness that is in your soul and in your heart. And if you want to experience real joy and happiness in your Christian life, it's not just being a hearer of the Word, but is being a doer of it. And what can happen as a Christian is we log some time with the Lord and then all of a sudden we stop having a joyous heart and soul because perhaps you lost a hunger for the Word of God. You're not interested in it. You make excuses why you aren't being obedient to the Word. You have other priorities of the world and the cares of the world that choke out the Word. It's no longer important to hear the word and certainly not to do it. And you're unfulfilled and you're unsatisfied and you're crying in your heart and you've lost your joy. So I want to encourage you that when you come on Sunday mornings and we hear the word or you come on Wednesday night or you hear a Bible study on Grace FM or maybe when you have your morning devotions, which I pray that you're having, that whenever you, that you are in the Word, ask the Lord as you read the Word, Lord, help me to make it a priority to do what your Word tells me to do, to live how your Word tells me to live. Because your Word is true, and it is right, and it will bring joy in my life, and bring true happiness and abundant life. Help me not to make excuses or dismiss it, but be submissive to it. And help me, Lord, by your spirit. So Paul's saying, you self-righteous person, you find fault with others, but you do the same. It's the doer of the law that will be justified. And in verse 16, we're going to end here. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. In the day of judgment, everyone will be judged righteously. The Gentile will be judged by the conscience he has either honored or violated. The Hebrew is going to be judged by the scriptures in which he has been entrusted. Everyone's going to be judged righteously in that day. And for those who stand at the great white throne judgment, as I said, that you will stand alone before the Lord. You will stand alone. 
You know, this week, being Halloween week, and unfortunately there are those that get into all the darkness and all that stuff of Halloween, and they like to listen to the, or they like to watch the, the horror movies, the, the scary movies, the dark movies, and all that. Let me tell you what a horror show would be. Think about this. I'll speak for myself. If everything in my heart that has ever been in my heart was displayed up here on the screen by God for it to be shown, because everything's open and naked before the Lord, or your heart, what a horror show that would be. And that's what I'm saying. And that's what's being told to us here. You think that you're righteous? Everything is open and naked before the Lord. And he knows the secrets of men. Nobody else may know about it, but Jesus Christ does. And you will be judged by the secrets of your heart. The secrets of men by Christ Jesus according to my gospel. Now here's the good news. You and I are going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Not the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. Romans chapter 14 we read. The unionized believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged what they have done in the body, whether good or bad. So here's the thing, that that word judgment seat for you and I is the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And we are going to be judged not for our sins because Jesus took that judgment on the cross of Calvary. Amen. He has forgiven us. He takes our sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west. We've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be judged for salvation. We're not going to be judged to our sins, but we're going to be judged what we have done in the body. In other words, what we have done for Christ, because the New Testament talks a whole lot about rewards and crowns that we're going to receive. And the things that are like Christ are going to be rewarded. The things that we've done motivated for our love for Christ, for the furtherance of the gospel, are going to be like Gold and silver and precious metals, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All the wood, hay, and stubble and stuff is going to burn up. But we are going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, live for him. Because everything in this world is going to go away. It's going to burn up. If you live after the world, you're going to lose out. You're going to lose out big time. You live for Jesus Christ. Oh, you might lose out here in this world. People come against you you know, speak against you, come down on you. But there's eternal rewards to be given to you. So live for him. Continue to grow in him and walk with him. And as you walk with him, there's great rewards and blessing, even in this life, because you're going to have joy in your heart. There's nothing, listen, more joys than living for the Lord. And I pray that all of us would really take that to the Lord and say, Lord, show me your joy as I learn of you and work your joy in me as I just do what you tell me to do. Look into him because the world is a big ripoff and will lead you into deception. Live for him. We not only believe the gospel, but what we live the gospel as well. Live for Jesus Christ. And I can't wait for that day when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Come enter into the joy of your Lord. So Father, we thank you that those promises are given to us.
to live for him. That, that Lord, that those promises of joy, fulfillment and satisfaction and abundant life to the one who's not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. But I also want to say to you who perhaps that are here, that have you truly given your life to Jesus Christ? It's not because you went to church or heard a Bible study or were baptized in the church, but have you given your heart to Jesus Christ, recognizing that you too are a sinner, you fall short and need forgiveness, and Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid it all. He did it all on the cross. He cried out, it is finished. Will you come to him? Because the gospel is for everyone who believes. The saving power of the gospel. To be forgiven. To inherit eternal life through faith. And have right relationship with the Father. He's calling you right now. Today is the day of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It is coming in faith, recognizing your need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. He loves you so much. He died for you, for you specifically, for your sins. And he says, come. The invitation is given. Today is the day of salvation. Will you do that? Whether you're listening on live stream or Facebook or whether you're in the coffee shop or here in this sanctuary, Father, I pray for the one who desires to come to you. You can pray this prayer sincerely right where you're sitting, right where you're at. That Jesus, I come to you as I am a sinner and I confess that I am a sinner and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I have sinned against you. Forgive me, I believe Jesus died for my sins on that cross and he rose again from the grave and I believe in you, Lord. I come to you to be my personal Lord and Savior is what I ask for this to be my gospel. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. Thank you for bringing me here for this message. I come to you now for forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with the Father. In Jesus' name.